I'm Dr. Yolanda Sintran. Welcome to Go Natural Dentistry, a Dr. Yoli podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is health and vitality. Here we will be exploring the mouth from the inside out. Make optimum health part of your lifestyle, starting with your mouth. All right. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Klein. So tell me about yourself. I have known you for over 20 years and you right. have our patients and myself so many times. And I love your work. You know, you have anointed hands. I just <laughs> want you. to know, how do you get into this? Uh, how do you start it? And tell me your story. Well, I mean, I actually was a patient before I became a therapist. I was involved in a car accident when I was 19 years old and I had multiple fractures, including my mandible. Um, and uh, that's how I actually got started in the field uh, and uh, decided having gone through physical therapy that might be a good fit for me. And it turned out to be a really good fit. Uh, and I graduated physical therapy school in 1983. Wow. That's and, yeah. And, uh, I started working uh, at that time in hospitals, which is a great place for new grads. I always recommend new grads because you get exposed to everything. You'll see everything from orthopedics, neurology, and even wound care. Um, and at that time, I kind of was interested in everything, but really hadn't found my particular niche yet. And then I moved to Florida in 84. Mm-hmm. And um, started working at Holy Cross, and actually found out I really didn't like it too much. It was at that time they had me just doing neuro, so I left there and started doing per diem work, and found I really liked orthopedics. And um, probably in 1986, I went to a course that was given by this doctor named Mariana Roccobato from Santiago, Chile, mm-hmm. which you're lecturing. And when I got to the course, there was half dentists and half physical therapists in the class. And I was blown away by that. I had never been to a course. I said, now, what does this physical therapist have to say that all these dent- dentists are interested in? And the course was called Introduction to Head and Neck. And uh, that's where it really started uh, as far as looking at temporomandibular joint disorders as a niche practice for myself. Um, And it was such a really unknown area for physical therapists at the time, even for dentists, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And but at the end of the course, was it really cool to actually kind of walk you through the process of marketing yourself. And I started renting space and. Subletting space in a doctor's office, a uh, podiatrist turned out to be out in Davie, which I'd never been that far out. But um, and that's how I started. I started uh, getting dental referrals back in 1986, and wow. at this point, I've seen well over a thousand cases and mm-hmm. nearly 35 years of practice. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, we are so grateful because. Nowadays, uh, I don't know what your experience has been with this COVID and the increase of anxiety is out of control. 
Yes. I've seen so many patients coming with migraines, TMJ problem, the joint right. uh cracked teeth, right. Teeth, right. Um, you know, sensitivity. So what have you seen with the COVID? Yes, sort of reminiscent of the influx of patients with head and neck we saw after Hurricane Andrew back oh. in 92 with uh, these uh, stresses. So really, I think it all really is a manifestation of the sympathetic nervous system, which we're all familiar with, uh, and its effect on the body, which uh, is designed to tighten up the head and neck muscles in, in response to danger stress, anger, fear, pain. Um, the problem, of course, is that we're being exposed to that level of stress on a continual basis for long periods of time. And so we're seeing the effects of that system on overload for just too long a period of time in our patients. Wow. So something that was designed to help protect us right. is sort of now working against us. Right. So... You know, you're a lifesaver, you know, I, I do um, a lot of re reconstructed, full mouth reconstruction work, and I tell my patients, before I start, I need for you to see Dr. Klein. And they don't comprehend why right. that I'm telling them to see you. Yeah. So how will you speak to a patient? Maybe I'm too technical. Uh, how do you speak to the patient so they comprehend the importance of, of the treatment before dental work? You know, going back to the first course I took, Rockabato did a demo where he asked everyone in the class to stand up. And um, we all stood up and he said, okay, now lightly tilt your head back into extension and lightly bite down. And you notice that your occlusion is has shifted as your, your bite is such that you are now, your mandible is now slid posterior to your maxillary teeth. And then if you bend your head forward all the way, you notice that your mandible has sort of slid forward when you bite down. Right. So this, you know, light bulb went on that the cervical spine posture can affect the occlusion. And at that time, he, we looked at, um, a correlation between a forward head posture and a, which the dentist refer to as a class two occlusion. Mm -hmm. That is a mandible being sort of slid posterior due to the influence of the soft tissue. That is the muscles attaching to the mandible from the neck, exerting a force on the mandible as a result of a faulty posture. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we do uh, in the eva evaluation of the patient is to look at them from a postural perspective and look at what are the forces on that joint. We talked earlier about the stress and how the stress may affect and result in increased tension on check and draw muscles. We're now talking about mechanical effect. That is, what is the mechanical effect of the soft tissue, the muscles in this case, exerting a force on the mandible? That, so that is a result of specifically the cervical spine posture. So that's one thing we look at. So as a physical therapist, I'm looking at the whole person and specifically when a patient comes to, from me, referred to your, your office, I'm looking at what are the effects on 
on the temporomandibular joint and the occlusion. And we want to complement what you're doing and make sure that what you're doing is going to be um, done in, this, in, a way, in a way that I'm going to do what I can to help ensure the success of your approach. Yeah, so we have a lot of patients that have destroyed the crown, right. the vertical dimension, which is the distance, you know, between the maxilla and the mandible. Right. We're trying to restore that. Right. Maybe from 18, they're at 15, and then they have destroyed all the incisal edges, and the back teeth are flat, and they're hitting uh, prematurely on the condyle. So the patients, what I tell them is you must see Dr. Klein. Right. Because you wore out the teeth that God gave you. Right. You wore out the teeth that the last dentist gave you. So I want to ensure success on the teeth that we are giving you now. And I need cooperation, you know, to be a team mentality, a team mentality, because a lot of patients comprehend that is the wear and tear in the drug system. What are the things that you recommend for a patient after they see you to maintain the new posture or what you're doing? Right. Well, the first thing is going back to the um, bruxism and, and really understanding a lot of times the patient is totally unaware of that. Right. And so one of the things that we will do is identify whether they have signs and symptoms of bruxism, mm -hmm. and then look at the health of the joints. A lot of patients are even unaware that there's popping, clicking in their joints, the temporomandibular joints I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one thing we're going to look at that and, and put, put them aware and explain to them what we're seeing mm -hmm. um, and put them on notice that, you know, this is what's going on and this is what we want to see you succeed. We don't want to see you destroy these beautiful new teeth that Dr. Cintron is going to give you. And so let's work on that. Uh, so there's a variety of different methods that we're going to use to address that. Typically, where I'll start, we just really, again, making the patient aware of that and really talk about not just the posture of the head and neck, but the posture of the, of the mouth. Really call the physiology of the mouth and what is the respite from the mouth. And it's, it's amazing, you know, agree with me, you'll find patients who are literally clenched all day long and think that it's normal. Right. And so we, we try to teach them about that freeway space we should have between our teeth, that, that position of rest of the mouth. And it's a concept that is uh, taught many different ways. And I found, I'm not sure about what you do, but I have found the easiest way to explain it is to really look at the position of your mouth, the posture of your mouth after the swallowing sequence. You notice that after you swallow, mm -hmm. your teeth drop apart, mm -hmm. your tongue's in the roof of your mouth. That's the rest position of the mouth. That's where we want you to be, not cleansed. And it's surprising, but a lot of patients are not even aware that they're cleansed all day long. They think that's normal posture. So it's just an awareness is the first step. There are techniques that we additionally will teach them to help overcome that, including relaxation techniques and uh, certain exercises if they are require some, we call lingual re-education. Some patients have actually an adult tongue thrust. 
they may have residual tongue thrust uh, and require some lingual education to relearn their swallowing patterns and so forth. So, so it's an individual situation that we look at the patient, try to see what's going on, try to see what's led to the, all this bruxism and see if we can intervene. And that's one of the ways I start approaching the case. But again, looking at the whole patient and uh, from, from at least from a physiologic point of view, what's going on with this patient? Uh, sometimes as physical therapists, we're not going to be perfect to get so much involved in their psychological life and see where the stresses are on their psychological stresses on them, just to sort of make them aware that, hey, this manifesting itself in excessive grinding and clenching of your teeth and you really have really ruined your teeth or caused damage to the joints. And we want to try to address that before, again, before we proceed with these beautiful new teeth that Dr. Cintron is going to give you. So I, I think that's sort of, sort of a nutshell why it's important to see them pre-procedures for them. Huge. If I had a choice, I would have the patient see you, then the, a psychologist, right, who address the stresses and how are they managing life because right. they are most probably right now connected to fight or flight. They they are thinking that being on that state of emergency, emotional state is normal and the adrenals are fatigue producing cortisol. So women find themselves going into menopause prematurely because we only right. have a bag of flour and that flour is gonna make all the hormones, right? Right. So you have the cortisol and then it's like, why are you producing cortisol all day long? You're not supposed to. So, you know, so yeah, so briefly, uh, just to expand upon what you're talking about, that fight or flight system, I mentioned a couple of sim symptoms such as clenching and tensing of the neck muscles. There's a whole cascade of symptoms that occur, uh, including a, a heart rate increase, a dilation of pupils. A lot of our patients are coming to us with sensitivity to light because their pupils are dilated from excessive uh, sympathetic overload. The digestion is slow. They're coming with digestive issues. So there's a whole cascade of symptoms that occur along with the sympathetic overload or the fight or flight response. So, exactly. fortunately, but that's the reality of today's life. We are constantly exposed to a certain level of stress in our life. And that system, I think, developed uh, for, to respond to brief periods of danger. But now we're just seeing that system on overload continuously. Yeah. Yeah, 24-7. So, um, you know, I'm very um, daring when I speak to my patients. I go into what is it that makes you a person and a human? So we go into your mind. You know, what is your connection with God? What is your connection with your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Are they positive? Are they empowering you? What are your habits? Are you working out? So I gave them a whole sheet about right. healing, about praying, about walking, about exercising uh, twice a day. Because if you're breaking your teeth and you're breaking your joint, it's like you got to do something right. different to get a different result. Right. So um, and it's very individual. That I find that you know everybody seems to have hopefully some method of coping. It could be um, exercise. It could be music it could be meditation it could be religion 
It could be a number of different coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember one particular patient told me that she had to sit there with a coffee and pet her cat for like two hours in the morning. And that was her stress management for the day. And that's what worked for her. So it can be very individual. And I think we need, as, as clinicians, we just need to suggest the patient, identify the issue for them, help identify the issue, uh, crystallize the issue for them and present multiple coping mechanisms for them. Mm -hmm. um, and again, if it's beyond our area of expertise, I would also agree with you, recommend the patient see a psychologist or psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah. We, we do um, a lot of times because if you cannot control your anxiety and it's causing all this damage, you know, you know that if they don't do something different, then they're going to get the same results that they came with. They're going to grind the teeth again. They're going to pop the crumbs out. And they're right. unhappy thinking that the um, quality of the work was not appropriate or adequate. When it's that if you're breaking with a hammer your furniture, you're going to break it. Exactly. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, the symptoms that people get when they are grinding. You know, like I have patients that have tinnitus and they don't relate it to the clenching. Um, what other things do you see, you know, besides those migraines, tinnitus, locking of the jaws? So, okay, so you mentioned three things before. Um, if we have time to get, go through them quickly, we will. Yes. Okay, so what's briefly, uh, you mentioned headaches. And typically we, we, we address two, and there are multiple types of headaches. The migraine headache, uh, or it's like about a classic migraine. It is a, it's typically a, in a vascular event. It's unilateral pain over one eye lasts 12 to 36 hours. It's associated with nausea, vomiting, visit disturbances. That's a classic migraine or vascular event. We also have the classic tension headache, which is more a, a result of a muscular event. And we typically, as physical therapists, I typically address uh, more of the muscular tension headaches. Uh, and that would be headaches caused by pain referred not just from the neck muscles, but also the muscles of mastication. As you know, uh, for example, the, the main chewing muscle, the masseter can refer pain over the eye, as well as into the ear and teeth. So it's sort of a, a map, a roadmap. When a patient comes in and says it hurts here, we have to sort of trace it back uh, and do our evaluation and see where they're coming from. And, and the reality is it could be a mixed event as well. It could be a muscular event along with a vascular event. So the patient's coming to us with a variety of different uh, symptoms, disorders, and it's up to us to sort of address and kind of listen to the history, listen to the symptom, symptoms, and then evaluate the patient and see what the source of it is. We may need to involve a neurologist at times if it's a purely vascular event, uh, but in general, what we're typically seeing is patients with referred pain headaches that are referred from the mess, the muscles of mastication, the jaw muscles, and or the neck muscles. That's what typically is producing the headache patterns. And, and these patients can have sensitivity to light as well, sensitivity to sound. Uh, it's not just a pure vascular event that can produce those symptoms. Patients often 
uh, mistake severe headaches as just being purely a, a vascular or migraine headache. They can certainly be a muscular uh, headache of muscular origin. Um, the next thing you mentioned was tinnitus. Uh, and tinnitus is a ringing of the ear. It can be a, a throbbing sound, a volatile tinnitus. It can be a roaring sound. It's described in many different ways. Estimates 15 to 20% of the population of some form of tinnitus typically occurs in, in more often in men and typically over 60 in age-related situations. Well, we're typically involved with primarily, and it's a huge subject, and there's, there's tons of things that are being done for it. Um, we're typically, that is, as a physical therapist, what I'm typically involved with is the deep masseter. The masseter muscle, the main crushing, chewing muscle of the mouth, can produce tinnitus. And that's really a great finding when you, you know, if you can relieve that for a patient. And it may have been there for years. It can last a lifetime. Uh, but that's, that's a home run. If we can find that particular muscle causing the problem, we can treat that patient's pain pattern and the tinnitus and everything can resolve for them. Uh, and so that's tinnitus. Um, the last thing I think you mentioned was locking of the jaw. Yes. Okay. So now we have a, a big subject. <laughs> I'm not sure how our time is, but I'll just kind of briefly, let me go through the less frequently seen things first before we get into the meat and potatoes of the. So the locking, as you put it, of the jaw. So one of the things that we have been seeing for years, and I'm talking about the less common things we see first. Yeah. All right. Let's get that out of the way first, because it is a real problem. And you may have seen it from other dentists for that is trismus that occurs post dental procedures. Mm -hmm. uh, these patients are typically men. They typically have a history of having quote unquote difficulty getting numb. They may have had and they require multiple injections uh, and they come in with very limited range of motion, maybe just a couple of millimeters of anything. And this is thought to be caused by a hematoma that can form or just some bleeding that occur, can occur post injection. This is again, a little bit more rare and typically occurring just in men. I haven't really seen any women come in with this. Uh, and it typically resolves in about six to 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, again, it's, it was interesting because we, I had been seeing it for years, but I happy. Turns out I had two physicians come in. One was a cardiologist. I believe, and the other was a, uh, I think he was a neurologist. And I tried to reassure them that they'd be fine in six weeks, and this was something we typically see, but they insisted upon MRIs. And so we got the MRI, came back that there was some bleeding into the temporalis. So this is something uh, you might want to comment on the difficulty of injecting an, a man versus a woman as far as it the size of the musculature and getting that, getting that needle really where you need to be. So I think in these cases, what we ultimately conclude is that sometimes that the injection has led to some bleeding into the muscles of mastication, causes the lockdown. It does resolve typically in about six to 12 weeks along with that, that blood or hematoma resolving. Um, yeah. Well, when I, inject the mandible in a woman or a man because some women have huge mandibles too right uh, and i go to nigeria 
I work in a dental clinic in Nigeria, and the jaws are humongous. Mm. So, uh, you know, when you go to dental school, one of the basic things that you learn is the injection techniques. So to me, that's one of the most important things that any dentist can learn in their career because I found throughout the years that I was hiring associates that they did not know how to inject a patient. So, you know, measuring the landmarks before you even touch a patient, you have to see the width of the mandible or the location of the inferior coming. And then also when you are measuring and dissecting that mandible when you're injecting, you have to hit the bone and retrieve and make sure you're not in a vessel. So right. in 32 years, you know, I have never had an issue with that, but I have seen how it can happen because of my experience with certain dentists trained in different facilities, you know? Right. Everybody that goes to that school, they don't know how to do inferior alveolar. <laughs> right. You know, no coincidence, oh. but right. that is when it's I- a testament to your expertise that you I, haven't had this issue. Hire an associate and make sure that I, I say, let's review your injection technique. Well, I've never seen one from your office, but they do occur. Yes. And they occur quite frequently. I only see, of course, some of them. So yes. there's no really, I don't really know how many are out there. Um, the other one I want to briefly touch on is um, oral cancers and post-radiation scarring. I do see, unfortunately, again, typically men coming in with a very limited range of motion. They've had been diagnosed with oral cancer sometimes, they've gone through uh, frequently radical neck dissections and they have to have radiation and the radiation produces scarring. And they may come in with very, very limited range of motion as well. Mm -hmm. um, and to complicate things further, the radiation may have damaged their teeth. Yes. Uh, so you don't really have anything really solid to work against when you're doing your manual manipulation. I do find actually the old tongue depressors to be very effective in this particular in these particular cases. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the main things that I utilize in these really difficult post-radiation scar, limited range of motion. Yeah. So the big subject of internal derangement or temporomandibular joint disorders. Yes. So, and I think the easiest way to talk about it is we know the temporomandibular joint is that joint form between the mandible and the skull. And it's sort of analogous to the knee in that there's a meniscus between the bones, that is between the socket and the jaw bone. There's a, a piece of cartilage we refer to as a meniscus. That meniscus is firmly held in place on top of the jaw bone by several ligaments. Now, through a process of microtrauma, such as bruxing for long periods of time, or significant trauma such as an accident or assault, we see that meniscus has become the ligaments that holding the meniscus in place on top of the jaw bone becomes damaged and the meniscus can begin to slide or move. And typically it moves sort of in a, in a specific pattern they call anteriorly. And so that can produce a clicking sound in the joint as the patient opens. And the click is actually a recapturing of the meniscus mm -hmm. as the patient opens their mouth. Mm -hmm. The issue with that is the ligaments are damaged 
And so typically when they close their mouth, it'll just fall off the disc. So every single time the patient opens their mouth, there'll be a click. Now this is what we call the early stage of the issue. When the meniscus can become so displaced, it can actually be mechanically blocked the mandible or the jawbone from moving forward. And that's what we refer to as an acute closed lock situation or an anterior displaced disc without reduction. This is more often a, a female problem. And it's typically, it does occur in men rarely, but they typically have histories of extreme bruxism and or trauma. So typically we do see mostly women with this issue. And that is uh, sort of in a, a quick explanation of, of temperament of the joint disorders. So the treatment briefly, if the patient is clicking, popping, the issue is going to be more symptomatic in teaching them how to sometimes limit the motion. A lot of times these patients are coming to us with hypermobility. Again, this is a female issue. One of the thoughts as to why this is more of a female problem is that the joint is held together by ligaments. And we look at women as typically more flexible than men, that their ligaments are softer, more mobile. And so we think this is a risk factor for the development of internal derangement per se. So we, in this clicking phase, we're looking to sort of put the system at rest, sometimes limit the most their opening, and then treat the symptoms that are going on, whether it's inflammation in the joint, pain in the muscles, and so forth. If the patient is in that later stage of locking, the disc is so displaced, they may have a very limited range of motion. In those particular cases, we can typically get the patient to at least 35 millimeters, which is a functional range of motion, regardless of where the disc is. It's also important to point out that internal derangement does not necessarily have to be painful. That these patients can have popping, clicking, even locking, and have no pain associated with it. Some estimates are about 40% of people will pop and click, and only about one or 2% of these patients have pain associated with it. Mm-hmm. So, so it is, it's a more rare situation. The patient presents to us with a uh, clicking and locking with pain. But it's, that's why part of the reason it's very important to point out to the patient, did you know you were clicking? Did you know you were locked? A lot of patients are, seem, are unaware they're coming to us already with displaced discs. And um, very, very quick, very carefully point out to the patient they have internal derangement. They'll, they'll throw their hands up and say, I have no pain. And that's, that's fine. Just letting you know that, explaining that. I mean, this is what's going on. Nothing to worry about right now. It's something we want to keep an eye on. Right. And what about um, the hormones? You know, do you uh, find that? Exactly that are getting close to changes in hormones, have a weakness that is higher than women that are younger? Right, and this is, uh, you know, the typical case that I see um, of popping, clicking, locking. This is generally a young female issue, the popping, clicking phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do see our older patients come in with more arthritic temporal joints much later phase in, in life typically, but very typically, teenagers will come in popping, clicking, and sometimes locking. And again, uh, you look at the flexibility of a, a younger person. And, um, you know, if we can 
look at the, their flexibility and assume that the, that the ligaments holding the disc in place are also as flexible, you can see with the forces put in on their mandible that they are at high risk for internal derangement. Yes. So what would you recommend on that? Well, the first thing is always, the first thing is always we look at the patient and, and we try to figure out what are the forces on the joint? Are there excessive forces? Does the patient have oral habits such as binding on pens, pencils, fingernails? Are they bruxing, clenching? So that's the first thing to identify any excessive mechanical forces that are on the joint and try to put the system at rest. It's always my first approach with a patient is to, is to try to put the system at rest. You can do a number of different things. You can give them brand new teeth, but they continue to abuse mm-hmm. their teeth and the muscles and joints around it with abnormal or habits such as excessive clenching, bruxing, biting on pens, pencils, fingernails. They're going to break down whatever we do for them. So it's really important to start from, from going back to what we talked about initially, uh, try to put the system at rest, try to restore the physiology or the posture of the mouth, if you will. And that's an educational process. And again, these are habits that require a lot of training. Typically, it can take at least a month to change a habit of bruxism and clenching. And, you know, especially with young girls coming into me, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say to the mom, listen, go get them a, if they're biting your fingernails, go get them a manicure. Give them a reason not to bite those fingernails, you know. So some of these habits are are difficult to break, but they need to be identified and addressed if we want to succeed. If I want to succeed as a, as a therapist, and, and I want you to succeed in what you're doing for their occlusion and their teeth. Mm-hmm. So. so you mentioned um, your cancer patients. You see a lot of cancer patients. But uh, when you said that, I thought about what about patients that have hurt it so bad that they might need surgery. What do you think of that? Is surgery helpful at all? You know, have you seen any good things? You know, um... well, I think there are indications for surgery in some cases. Um, but again, I would say that if you look at the statistics, that most patients are going to get better with. First of all, most patients are going to get better on their own without our intervention. The body has tremendous healing abilities. If we look at a fracture here, we look at a wound here, we know the body has tremendous healing abilities. Mm-hmm. The patients who are sort of stuck in a cycle where they're not getting better, I would say the vast majority, 80 to 90% of those patients will get better with conservative care. Yeah. That is some type of physical therapy and an approach from you, whether it be uh, an appliance or whether it be uh, a restoration of their occlusion, that, that can be enough in, I would say, the vast majority of the cases. In, in advanced cases, in some cases where there's rheumatoid arthritis or there's other significant trauma to the case, they may need some surgical intervention to uh, assist in the recovery. Mm-hmm. And now that is a whole huge subject anywhere from what's called an arthrocentesis, where they're just sort of flushing the joint with fluid, to an arthroscopy where they're actually going in and visualizing the joint, doing small repairs, to an arthrotomy where they're making an incision and they're actually doing some type of repair, whether it be just a plication of the disc or putting the disc back into position or suturing back into position and or partial or total joint replacement. Those are much more rare. Uh, I would say that of a thousand surgical cases that I've seen over 35 years of working in this area, that I would say I've probably seen less than 50 
total joint replacements. Mm -hmm. So the majority of cases are just arthroscopies that, uh, and they're about 82% successful across the board, statistically. That's awesome. Well, we, we're so thankful for, for prevention and, and doctors like you that, you know, you are dealing at the root cause of the problem and can help a patient before it becomes a, a irreversible. So we like to hit it, you know, kick it in the butt, find out the root cause, deal with anxiety, get the mouth good, get physical therapy. So you're so wonderful. I love you. Since find you. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure working with your cases. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it earlier. Uh, uh, your patients love you. <laughs> they come to me from your office and they're just, uh, it's, it's very unusual, let's put it that way, to have patients coming in and think so highly of their physicians. So it's a great testament to what you're doing over there and oh, your staff. We're trying to be more than a tooth doctor. You know, I'm trying to be knowing what we know after 35 years of experience, we have a lifetime experience in medical stuff, nutrition, fitness. So we're very comprehensive. And um, I, I like to counsel my patients from A to Z because they don't know any better. They're doing something wrong and you know it. Well, that's my responsibility. So um, they know I take it very seriously. And uh, I want them to go and see you more because there are things that you can do for them in a few visits that will change their world. <laughs> Appreciate that. So where are you located and how can they find you? Well, I'm located in Fort Lauderdale. I'm on the Oakland Park Boulevard, just east of US 1, not too far from your office. Yes. We have a website which is accucare.net, A-C-C-U-C-A-R-E.net. And uh, my email, if you want to reach me direct, directly, is Kurt, K-U-R-T, Klein, K-L-E-I-N, P as in physical, and T as in therapist, at yahoo.com. Kurt Klein, P-T at yahoo.com, or accucare.net, or I'm, I'm at 2655 East Open Park Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale. That's awesome. Or they can call us and we'll give you the information. Yes, I appreciate that. Yes, I love you. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Klein. That was wonderful. And I cannot wait to hear more people getting the care that they need. It's so simple and it'll change their world. I have patients that have gone to you with 30 years of headaches and then they cannot believe it. Oh, he cannot help me. What can you do for me? I'm right. Trust me. Go and they're like they fall in love with you. They're uh, like, I cannot believe that this took care of this pain that I suffered for 30 years. So I just pray that people will be open-minded about doing the simple things before they need surgery. Right, right. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day. Thank you very much, and I hope you join us again. I'm Dr. Yolanda Centron, and you have been listening to Go Natural Dentistry a Dr. Yoli podcast. Visit GoNaturalDentistry.com for more information on biological dentistry and DrYoli.com to subscribe for more updates on holistic health. Join me next time for another podcast. Thank you for listening.